0: by now have figured out I love a good visual. I couldn't quite manage bringing you the River Jordan this morning, but I brought you a few drops of it, and I really wanted to make the point that the lessons that we've heard this morning are really going to stand out in stark contrast to what society tells us very usually in January. Society likes to tell us, you're not good enough. You need to change. You need to adopt this meal plan or this organizational system. And finally, you will be your best self and live your best life. And by the way, it comes in four equal payments of $99.99. This is really in stark contrast to the Christian calendar. Everybody in the world is on a diet right now, and here we are at yet another feast. You see, we've been feasting the Incarnation at Christmas, feasting at the Epiphany, and today is yet another feast day where we celebrate the baptism of Jesus. And at every baptism, we are celebrating something very specific and wonderful. God loves the heck out of you. God is crazy about you has been shouting from the heavens, I love you. And at Christmas, we saw God the Son reveal to us even more deeply how much God loves us. And at last week, Epiphany, we heard how God just doesn't love us. He loves everybody so much so that he put a star in the sky to guide the Gentiles to meet him. And now this week, this week, We hear in the promises of Isaiah. But now says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. Can we hear those promises? Do they sink in like lotion rubbed into chapped hands? Do they resonate like an inhaler that once breathed in opens you up, releases the tightness, and restores you to the flow and rhythm of the very breath of life? Probably not. Most of us can't let these promises sink in that deeply because we are afraid. You see, we know that we are not lovable. We know our bad habits our extra pounds, our addictions, our lusts, our mistakes, our disorganization. And we, we think that maybe, just maybe, if we could get past all of that, if we could just resolve to get better, maybe, maybe then we could believe that God is crazy about us and loves us that much. But the scriptures tell us the exact opposite. We don't gain God's assurance of love by getting it right. God redeems us. We don't redeem ourselves. So how can we let these promises really sink in? From where does our assurance come from? Well, Isaiah continues, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you, When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame will not consume you. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Just as God was with the Israelites as they parted the Red Sea, as they crossed the River Jordan, God is profoundly with us as we cross through the River of Baptism. In Jesus' baptism, that promise, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you, God not only keeps that promise, but he shows up and shows off. Because Jesus' baptism wasn't really about any need for repentance or any sin he himself had committed. It was to show us yet again that God is with us when we pass through the waters. Now in some accounts of Jesus' baptism, it's easy to just focus on Jesus and that voice that says, this is my son. And it lets John the Baptist and all those other penitent folks who'd come to the river just before fade into the background. But Luke doesn't let that happen. He doesn't allow for this sharp separation of John the Baptist from Jesus. Unlike in Mark and in Matthew, Luke is not just reporting on the baptism of Jesus, but rather is focusing on the opening of heaven, which happens after all of the baptisms, Jesus's included. And we can see this because Luke goes to great linguistic feats. He makes his Greek so entwined together And he combines tenses and clauses in such a way that you can't separate verse 21 and 22. They are one long run-on sentence done for a purpose that shows us the chain of events. First, the people heard the message of repentance and came and were baptized by John. Then, Jesus was baptized And after that, Jesus is praying. And after all of that, heaven opens. How much more assurance can you get of God with you when you pass through the waters than having a group here at the water passing through repentance and Jesus, fully God and fully human, passes through those same waters with them? And then God just starts showing off the fullness And the oneness of God in three and three in one is made fully manifest in this moment by the opening of heavens and the Spirit descending like a dove. And the voice of the Father echoes from heaven and says, You are my beloved Son. In you I have come to delight. Now, the translation we just heard didn't say it exactly that way. It said, You are my beloved You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. And there's a reason we made that shift when we translated from Greek into English. There was a whole group of people in history that argued that Jesus was adopted as God's son, that he was a human being that became God's son at the moment of his baptism. And the English word come could be misinterpreted to think that. But that is not what the Greek is giving us here. The message of the scripture that Luke writes when he says, You are my beloved son, in you I have come to delight. Well, these tenses and these words combine to share God's statement. You are my beloved son, in you I have come, the I am. The God of one in three and three in one has come to earth in this moment. In this moment, the fullness of God is manifest and present with humanity. And for what purpose? To delight. Now what is God delighting in here? His own obedience and journey to the river to fulfill what he foretold through the prophets? No. The delight is inescapably linked to the preparer, John, the people who listened, the people who repented and were baptized. And because of this, the full assurance of salvation, redemption, of God who redeems, who not only calls each of them by name, but says, you are mine. That is the delight. That promise of, I will be with you when you pass through the waters? God really means that. And God is here to delight. That as people heard the voice of one crying out, repent, there is another way. And God is delighted to show up at the river. But the beauty is that that delight was not just a one-time thing. In our sacrament of baptism, we outwardly pass through the water and we have the full assurance of, I have redeemed you, I'm crazy about you, I love you, I am here with you, and you are mine. So why do we celebrate the baptism of Jesus? Because it's at this moment we see the heavens opened. And the fullness of God present with us as we pass through the water. And it's for this reason that today we remember our own baptisms. We remember and renew the promises that we made as we pass through the water. Because I hope, especially today, you can hear the echoes of God as the heavens open. Benjamin, you are my son. Chiada, you are my daughter. With you, I am well pleased. This oneness with God, the outward and visible sign of our inward state of redemption, it's not an end point. It's a starting point. It's not, whoo! God loves me. I've done wrong, but now I'm good. I once was lost, but now I'm found. All of that is true. But something more follows. You see, baptism is an invitation to get to work. Jesus' public ministry of healing, teaching, and persecution begins at his baptism. And we as Episcopalians make promises in the name of Jesus that our ministry begins at our baptism. Those promises we make help us to get to work to know what the work is and to call us back to renewed and deeper faithfulness to the work. God's crazy about you. Remember that and get to work.